Section twenty four of Captain Cook by Walter Besant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter thirteen The Ship's Company. We can learn more about the individual officers and men belonging to Cook's three expeditions than would be expected by reading the journals of the voyages. Cook himself tells us nothing of his officers except in connection with special service, when he is always ready to give them credit. There are no private letters preserved, for the simple reason that it is no use writing letters when there is no post. We cannot ascertain the grumblings of the forecastle or the criticisms of the wardroom, but something may be recovered from the journals themselves, and there was, as we have seen, the narrative of George Forster and the journal of Gilbert. Also, there are the books of Ellis, Sidney Parkinson, the draughtsman brought by Banks, and one or two more, from reading which one acquires some knowledge of the officers. In general terms, Cook makes known his solicitude for the welfare of his crew. He tells us how, directly they got into cold weather, he had the sleeves of their jackets lengthened with bays, and gave them caps made of the same warm material. He dilates on the grand anti-scorbutic effects of his malt, his sauerkraut, and his portable broth. He prides himself on his preservation of the crew from scurvy. We have seen how he made a kind of tea for the men from the leaves and twigs of the spruce, how he had celery and scurvy grass boiled in the peas and wheat, though the men at first would not eat them, how he made beer out of the sugar-cane, and when the men refused it, knocked off their grog. We see how he sends out the young gentlemen on shooting parties, and allows them to accompany the scientific men on their botanical expeditions. We cannot but remark how careful he is to mention any officer who does any special service, and when he loses his surgeon, William Anderson, it is not a formal entry in the log that records his death, but a careful tribute to his worth and his attainments that shows his justice and his desire to give to every man the credit due to his zeal and knowledge. But when the ship's beef is so rank that it can no longer be eaten, even by the strongest stomach, when the biscuit is half eaten and wholly defiled by the cockroaches, when the crew is weakened by privation and bad food, when half the ship's company are down through having eaten poisonous fish, the captain says nothing. These things were part and parcel of such a voyage. Those who cannot endure them had better not come a-sailing on the broad Pacific. Sufficient happiness for them to escape the dreadful scurvy and to come home again at length alive. Once or twice, it is true, he mentioned things which have reached a pass beyond any previous experience. We learn, for instance, on one occasion, how the ship was pestered with cockroaches, whose number could not be kept down. They swarmed everywhere. At night, they made everything in the cabin seem to be moving about by their multitudes. They devoured the ink on labels and letters. They even climbed up into the rigging, and when the sails were unfurled, they fell in thousands on the deck. The surgeon, Mr. Anderson, discovered that there were two kinds, the Blada Germanica, a daylight companion, and the Blada Orientalis, their joy by night. But this discovery brought no comfort to the crew, as it could not help to get rid of them, 
and the cockroaches although named and classified went on multiplying again certain fish the captain says which were eaten by the officers and the petty officers caused a violent pain in the head and bones with a scorching heat of the skin and a numbness in the joints it was a week or ten days before all the gentlemen recovered forster's account of the same misfortune shows what a narrow escape they all had of being poisoned our ship now resembled an hospital the poisoned patients were still in a deplorable situation they continued to have gripes and acute pains in all their bones in the daytime they were in a manner giddy and felt a great heaviness in their heads at night as soon as they were warm in bed their pains redoubled and robbed them actually of sleep the skin peeled off from the whole body and pimples appeared on their hands those who were less affected with pains were much weaker in proportion and crawled about the decks emaciated to mere shadows we had not one lieutenant able to do duty and as one of the mates and several of the midshipmen were likewise ill the watches were commanded by the gunner and the other mates one would think that so severe a visitation would have called for more than a mere note of passing sickness it may be judged from forster's journal with how much heart the people including even the scientific men on board endured these privations and suffered this hardness we can see the captain his face set southwards looking over the heads of the hungry and discontented crew he is thinking how he can break through the wall of ice and learn what is beyond they are wondering how long it will be before the captain will give up this foolishness and turn back to warmer climates the officers and passengers shared as forster plainly tells us in the general dejection their store of special provisions had long since vanished and they were now reduced to the fare of the common sailors the hope of meeting with new lands had vanished the topics of common conversation were exhausted the cruise to the south could not present anything new but appeared in all its chilling horrors before us the conversation and opinions of columbus's crew have only partly been preserved but such as they were such were those of cook's officers and scientific passengers they were ready to exchange all their chances of glory in the discovery of the terra australis incognita for another month at otaheite among the fruits and the blooming beauties of that island many other instances will be found by him who reads not only the voyages themselves but also the books which belong to them and surround them as the big fish is attended by the little fish always it is the same thing the captain endures and murmurs not the men endure and grumble as one makes his way through these volumes a personal interest as i have already said is presently awakened in the officers some of them begin to stand out clear of outline we see their faces we hear their voices among these is captain clark he who follows at cook's heels in the discovery he is a silent shade and pensive he carries out instructions and endures hardships uncomplaining even though perhaps because the hand of death is upon him when his chief is killed he is carried already in the last stage of consumption on board the resolution to die in a few more weeks 
another who stands out a clear and well-defined figure is that of anderson the surgeon who picked up the language everywhere compiled the vocabularies and wrote these admirable reports on the manners and customs of the people one of the earliest and best of anthropologists next to the captain the man most zealous and eager for the success of the expedition he died before his chief then comes king who wrote the conclusion of the journal king whom the natives loved and called tinny a man of genial and winning manners a favourite with all he came home in command of the discovery they made him a post captain but four years after his return he died in the south of france then there is gore who succeeded clark in the command we see a good deal of gore he is always going off with boats sounding surveying examining a capable officer but apparently since king wrote the journals not gifted with the pen of the ready writer he died in seventeen ninety one of the captains of greenwich hospital there are also those stout fellows roberts the first lieutenant phillips who behaved with so much pluck at the murder of the captain samwell the surgeon edgecombe the marine there are the two forsters grumbling and discontented the amiable youth sidney parkinson draughtsman who died monkhouse the surgeon who died charles green the astronomer who died sparman the naturalist whom we remember emerging from the bush where the natives had stripped him of everything but his spectacles as for gilbert from whose log i have quoted he is a voice and nothing more he was transferred from one ship to the other on his return home he was promoted with the rest but as i have said already he died shortly afterwards of smallpox i have mentioned isaac smith the boy whom cook took with him his wife's cousin midshipman on his first and mate on his second voyage after his second voyage he was made lieutenant and continued in active service till the year seventeen ninety four when his health gave way and he retired receiving the rank of admiral in the year eighteen o four he was the first englishman who landed in australia when the captain went ashore he took the boy with him now then isaac he said you go first and the lad jumped ashore admiral smith after his retirement lived with his cousin the widow there are one or two of the crew who deserve mention the old and faithful watman who followed cook on the third voyage never weary of the sea has already been mentioned it was an ill service that he did his master in dying at the juncture when the natives were trying to believe the strangers to be all gods and superior to death next there is corporal ledyard the gallant marine who next to anderson developed the greatest quickness in learning the language wherever they touched he was by birth an american and in the year seventeen eighty six he formed the project of walking across the continent of america for that purpose he thought he would journey through europe and across siberia to kamchatka where their russian friends of their last visit would perhaps take him across the straits sir joseph banks and others raised a sum of fifty pounds for him with this slender provision he sailed to hamburg and thence to copenhagen and stockholm he thought to find the gulf of bothnia frozen over as it was not he walked all round it through tornia to st petersburg 
here he found a convoy of military stores about to start for the use of one billings who had been in one of cook's expeditions and had now taken service with the russians being employed in making surveys for the russian government on the northwest coast of america he obtained permission to join this convoy and in august reached the town of irkutsk in siberia thence he proceeded to yakutsk where he met with captain billings he returned to irkutsk intending to pass the winter there but in january he was arrested brought back under the guard of an officer and two soldiers in a post sledge from moscow he was then taken to the frontier and dismissed with the empress's prohibition ever to set foot within her territories what harm this poor soldier sailor could possibly do to the empire of russia is not apparent sir joseph banks heard from him from Königsberg. he died in seventeen ninety and his adventurous life has been written and may be read one feels a certain sympathy too with the irishman who had been in the danish service and somehow seemed to have no country left so that when he ran away with the intention of remaining away for the rest of his life a general compunction was felt for him and though he was brought back his punishment was no more than a fortnight in irons many tried to run away a sailor in new zealand enticed from his duty by a girl a midshipman and a sailor in otaheite thinking that life on such an island was better far than to go on ploughing the barren wave they were caught too but not severely punished cook was hard but he could feel for those weaknesses of human nature which did not interfere with the proper discharge of work lastly two men ran away with a six-oared gig but this was off macau they were never heard of again one pictures the reception which these misguided and unhappy sailors would meet with from the chinese mariners who should chance upon them and their six-oared gig one more reminiscence of the voyages it is christmas day the ship is in latitude sixty-five degrees south it is midsummer so the nights are short but the skies and seas are hidden with continual fog so that nothing can be seen around or above the vessel is in the midst of ice a wall of ice is before them broken ice floating ice ice in small lumps and in great hills all about them for months the crew have been saving up their brandy in readiness for this sacred day which they keep by all getting drunk very drunk says the historian though the captain passes over the occurrence on the discipline of the ship a good deal might be said but cook must not be judged by the practice of modern days the sailors get drunk unrebuked on christmas day that would not be permitted in these days when the ship was in port things were allowed to go on board which can hardly now be related they may be found in great detail in forster's book at sea a stern rule prevailed and the lash was freely used on shore and in port the men did what they pleased those who know who went down on board the royal george with brave kempenfeld will understand that cook followed the usual practice certain things he said i permitted because i could not prevent them there might have been one feels some restrictions an attempt at restraint but there were none it was exactly the same with wallace one more point of difference i know not when every ship began to carry its chaplain but there was no chaplain on any of cook's voyages 
it was however the custom for the captain to read the service to the whole crew on sunday mornings the bible from which cook read the lessons during his last voyages was given to his widow who used no other during the rest of her long life it is a well-bound quarto edition basket oxford seventeen sixty five and is now in sydney with other relics of the great navigator End of section twenty four